This is Coda Radio, episode 212 for July 4th, 2016. Everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. Joining us this week, as every week, is your host, Michael Dominic. Hello, Michael. How are you? A vast matey. We'll throw the tea in the bay. <laughs> I thought we were doing British this week, not pirate. Pirates are British. Oh. I mean, a lot of them were. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then it works. So, it works. Uh, so you'll. So I, I'm. I'm super excited. I know that. Uh, I know that you. Just to start out, I know that you have a new computer, and you're considering, or have considered, or have already completed setting Linux up on it. So, so that's actually not correct. Okay. Um, this is an old Dell that I had from a, a previous company I used to run. That just when the company closed, I bought it for like fifty cents. So I threw Linux on it because it's one of those crappy Inspirons. Okay. Um, it brought it right back to life because it was, you know, a, a very bare bones Windows 7 PC. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of my home computer, like just the kick around computer, right? If I'm at home or whatever. Yeah. For the office, for my new workstation, I had ordered a Dell to run Linux on and promptly returned it within 24 hours. Okay. I have since ordered a System76 Raytel Pro. No way! Yes, which I'm expecting delivery of, if not the end of this week, uh, I think with Emma or, or someone there, let me know that because of the holiday, it's not going to be exactly what, what the email said. Sure. Um, so if it's not this coming Friday, it would probably be sometime in that following week there. Okay, so I have to ask, what led to this? Uh, well, what led to the new machine in general or what led to it being a System76? Well, if you don't mind catching me up, what led to both? Sure. I, I My main driver is a MacBook Pro, which is kernel panicking like a fiend. Okay. So, you know, the main thing I do, because like, I do a lot of Android work, right? And I do a lot of um, Ionic framework, which is like a web development platform work for mobile apps. Very little native iOS, though I did just launch a Mac app like three weeks ago called GitMask, which you should all go buy for five bucks. Um, so, you know, the MacBook Pro was becoming a my workstation, but really a glorified build machine. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Noah. MacBooks are not cheap. I was aware of that. Yep. Mm. So I had taken it to the Genius Bar, and I basically got a, well, you ran it down. And I've gotten this several times. I mean, I used to work on a MacBook Air, and they're like, no, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing on an Air. Um, I've gotten lots of, let's say, unfriendly responses from Apple Care. So I went ahead and just said, you know what? If I can do my builds on the cloud, which I can, uh, Ionic has something called the Ionic platform. And there's a number of open source alternatives to that, too. I mean, I could set up a Mac mini server. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is not all of it needs to be built using OS X, right? Sure. Um, I would say, like, in the last three months, the vast majority of my time has been spent in Java. Just, you know, just to oh, kind wow. Yeah, balance that out. So that's agnostic. And in fact, I'm deploying to Ubuntu servers running Docker, almost all on DigitalOcean. Plug, plug, plug. Uh huh. So, you know, paying $2,000 for an equivalent laptop that hasn't been updated in three years really felt stupid. Right. I mean, yeah. incredibly stupid. 
So I looked at Windows and I was like, ah, Windows 10 is. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you don't you don't know the half of it. I, I mean, I, I've been deploying. I've I've had I've been forced to deploy a couple of Windows Ten boxes. It's like pulling teeth, man. It's it's well, it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, and I'm trying to keep my tool chain pretty Unix heavy. I mean, at the office, it's a Mac shop basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there are no Windows machines on that network at oh, all. Good. So you know, the step from Windows to, from from Mac, the step to Linux is a lot smaller at the end of the day, right? Uh, let me give you an example. All of my build scripts are in Ruby, which okay. will run exactly the same on uh, Linux, where Ruby on Windows can be a little picky okay. last time I looked at it. Sure. Now, in their defense, I know they have the bash on Windows thing, but I've never tried it, and it's in beta, so I wouldn't try it anyway. Yeah, it works all right. I, I played with it a Does little it work? bit. Well, I played with it enough that I could use it, too. I was at a client, and they had uh, they had Windows 10, and I, I installed the – it's actually pretty simple – Brain did simple to get it up and running, but I was able to use it to SSH into a machine, and I was like, "Well, this is kind of cool." I mean, it felt weird, actually, to be honest with you, but it was it was okay. kind of cool. It was a novel. Yeah, I, yeah, I was a little gun shy on it only because you know this is a production machine, right? Uh, which is right. exactly the reason I'm going with LTS, yeah, instead of um, you know anything more fun. For sure. So I ordered the Dell. I got the Dell. I was very excited. I had one of my employees standing by the door waiting for the FedEx man. Dell comes in. Dell doesn't work. Dell's DOA. Really? That's the desktop that you bought? Yeah, it's a large Dell Inspiron Tower. Two gig graphics card. It was a beauty. Gotcha. I know you and some others on Twitter were telling me the graphics card wouldn't work. Well, the machine didn't work, period. Well, yeah, I mean, so. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say as I don't think the graphic card would work. I just think if something is going to give you trouble, an ATI graphics card, that would be, that would be the first thing I'd be like, well, if there's going to be yeah. something, that would be it. Well, and it got to the point of... You know, System76 was doing their promotion at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get on on that sale, man? I did, I did, I did. So that was, I was like, you know, I could fight with Dell about an exchange, um, or I could do a refund and just spend like a hundred more dollars and get a System76. Yeah, which kind of makes more sense because if I want to call someone and complain for support, they'll actually support it. Yep, yep. And in fact, I have the I have the Wild Dog that is actually that's what we're broadcasting on today. I almost got the Wild Dog. It just seemed like overkill. Yeah, it, the Rattel is kind of that sweet spot. And the other thing is the Rattel yeah. is so much smaller, physically speaking, yeah. that if I had it to do over again, but the Rattel wasn't available back in, you know, whatever, 2008, 2009 when I bought this well, one. Well, can I tell you a dirty secret? And don't tell my wife because she'll be okay. real upset. Okay, I won't. And nobody nobody here will tell either. It's not like you're on air or anything. So, In, in, in sneer quotes, the company, right, the one that I own and totally sign all the checks for, may actually have to purchase a System 76 Lemur or Gazelle nice. come july 15th nice. I, i'm not sure which one and you know it's so pretty it is yeah they, I, little, yeah i haven't seen yeah. you in person i can tell you they're amazing how's the keyboard on on the uh, lemur that's that, that's what's holding me back so there is definitely a step up in keyboard when you go to like the oryx or the bonobo um okay. you know sure, over the lemur little... and so, but so but and i but then again i'm kind of a keyboard snob so oh, i am too I'm, i use a dos keyboard everywhere I oh do you on. okay yeah I I gotta tell you, you have to check out WASD keyboards. W A S D. They uh, you, yeah, you can you can customize them up the wazoo, uh, and uh, it again, it's you have to be a real keyboard snob to, to care about the kind of stuff that they offer. But if you do care, if you're a person using a DOS keyboard, I'll bet you'll appreciate WASD keyboards. We could have a long and very boring conversation <laughs> yes, about cherry could. switches right now. We could, and, <laughs> and I. I don't think it would be a well-rated show. No, no, it wouldn't, but it would be super fun, and we should totally do it. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, so one of these days you're going to come out for Linux Fest Northwest, right? 
Absolutely. In fact, if I had known about Southeast, I would have went to that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll definitely we'll meet up. So I want to hear about uh, Rails 5.0, I guess, is released, huh? Yes, it's very depressing for me because I hate change. I, you know, I am a Republican. Me too. Hey, God, we have so much in common. You're probably one of those L- LTS using goofballs. I... I only run LTSs. Yeah, um, all my too. servers are Just, LTSs. In, in fact, Dio upgraded us to 1604 LTS, and I sent them an email. Can I not do that? Does Chris give you as much crap for running LTS as he gives me? Cause it's you don't a- know, because I primarily run on the server side. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah but I, I under, if you're not running an LTS on the server, I think you're a sick weirdo, but that's... Well, I'm I'm also a gun-toting conservative, and I'm also a, uh, a a stable LTS. I don't like change. I just want to install mm-hmm. it and forget it kind of guy. Yeah, I'm voting for Clinton only because I want the same corruption corruption I knew and loved in the 90s. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, so, so Rails 5. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about Rails 5. Rails 5 is interesting in a lot of ways. One, as with every Rails release, there are some security um, improvements. I'm not going to go into them because why bother, right? You should just upgrade at some point. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it is a major version upgrade. So if you've had a Rails 4. Point whatever, right, 4.x application running for, let's say, a year, uh-huh. I would move with caution. Um, I was able, in a little sandbox, to upgrade a Rails 4. Point, I think it was like 4.2 or 4. Point something, I don't remember, app to Rails 5 with little to no pain. But I don't know if that's always true. Okay. In general, Rails 5 does seem additive rather than um, disruptive, meaning it's simply adding stuff, right? So Action Cable, which is basically um, the Rails opinionated way to handle WebSockets. So previously, there you would use some random gem, whatever gem you liked. Sure. Now there's a thing called Action Cable, you know, you know, Active Record, Action, all that kind of crap. Yep. API mode, which this is where I think it's actually most interesting, and it's the dumbest thing, but this is how a lot of the Rails um, applications I'm running are actually headless, right? So there isn't, they're not generating HTML. They're just returning JSON to mobile, or in some cases, like AngularJS front-end. So this is a mode, and you could have done this with a gem, which I've used and works fine, but you know we have to update things, right? We have to add it into the core framework. Mm-hmm. This actually allows you just when you generate it. So if, you know, Rails new Noah's great app. It's Rails new backend Noah's or Rails new Noah's great app tack backend or okay. tack tack whatever it is, and it will not even include any of the HTML generating stuff, which theoretically leads to a smaller application. But more importantly, it will automatically call the two JSON methods on all your returns, so you don't have to like force the return to JSON. Okay. the The idea here is for these new. I don't want to say heavy because that's not the right word, but front-end focused apps, right, where most of the code is running on the uh, user's browser or on a mobile device, right, which is basically what I do. People listen to the show, Android devices, iOS devices. So for me, this is great. Having said that, I'm one of these people who don't think ERB is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm doing a simple line of business application that needs to be a web app that needs a front-end, you know, I can save my customer a ton of money just by using ERB and the built-in Rails stuff sure. rather than writing them a whole, you know, you, Ember or AngularJS monstrosity. I don't want to totally derail your conversation or take away from the, from the discussion, but can you excuse my ignorance? What is ERB? Ooh, I don't remember the acronym, but it's basically um, Ruby injected into an HTML document, right? Gotcha. So you could have something like app post for each and yep. then the HTML and fill it in. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, Microsoft has something like this called Razor. Gotcha. 
which they stole from Rails. <laughs> Throw it out of there. That's that's a Microsoft thing. It, it, the syntax is almost the same. I mean, it's it's not even. We won't even go there. It's. I'm in a bad mood. I had to support a relative's Windows PC this week, and I'm. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll put anyone. Upset. That'll put anyone in a bad mood. I have sympathy for you. If I see you, you'll get a beer out of me just for that. Oh, it's going to be need to be like a gin, just straight. Intravenously, it was a window. So what happened is, let's just take a quick detour. They got tricked by the Windows 10 prompt, and they upgraded, and they accidentally formatted their drive and lost their data. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's no good. Like, why are you forcing people to upgrade to a major OS version? But let's just, yeah. Anyway, uh, some nice stuff to the DB migrate stuff, basically quality of life stuff. Active record got a whole pile of changes. None of it is super scary, I would say. Okay. Um, although active record is very frightening to begin with because it's big and there are very few people alive who understand everything that it does. Again, not terrible. Turbo links. This is where it gets crappy. I don't like turbo links. So if you go ahead and click on the link in the Rails page to where it says turbo links is included, uh-huh. you'll notice something weird. Doesn't it look like it's one of those client side Java MVC GitHub projects mm-hmm. where it's like automatically resizing your stuff? That's because that's what it is. So Basecamp is one of the larger users. Yeah, basically in fireworks, you may hear my dogs freak out. Basecamp is one of the larger users of this, where basically your generated Rails HTML with TurboLinks can now be, I hate to use the bud words, but mobile responsive. <laughs> Which, I mean, I haven't used it yet. It seems magical to me. For instance, first line in their feature doc, optimizes navigation automatically. Uh-huh. Things always always work perfect automatically let me tell you Noah <laughs> mm, it's always a good thing um, so that's frightening for me mm-hmm. now they have these adapters that supposedly tie into the mobile system you're on so think iOS or Android kind of like what Ionic does right it sees if you're on Android it does a different slightly different UI control widget yep. Yep. than if you're on iOS yep. again if that works that's awesome but when it doesn't, well, the, so this seems like a big, big dependency to throw into Rails that has a lot of risk. But I could be wrong. I mean, they link here to a uh, RailsConf presentation. I did take a look at it. It looks impressive if that's how it works, and if there's not a bunch, you know, it does remind me a little bit. And I know it's not the same type of technology as. Uh, are you familiar with Xamarin Forms? Yep. Uh, I, I, when I say familiar, my familiarity with anything development is I have heard of them or I have heard other people talk about them. But in so that regard, I, yes. I was in the early release of Xamarin Forms in the in the beta, so to speak, and it promised you this magical right once uh, run anywhere for mobile, so Android, iOS, Windows Phone. Mm-hmm. And it worked like for the most simple, common use case. Mm-hmm. It's not anything like, heavy. Well, like one of the big problems I had was, oh, on table views in Android with images, there's a huge memory leak that makes it totally not workable. So you end up writing that entire controller and that entire view natively. Sure. Which blows your budget because, you know, <laughs> why would you do that? So, again, I don't want to take a giant steaming Chris Fisher on top of Rails 5. <laughs> Boom. 
This is what he gets for not showing up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but rather, Rails 5 doesn't seem bad. I take it back. I mean, Turbo Links 5. Okay. But <sighs> it seems scary to me. Like anytime you're talking about rappers, and I, I fully agree that that's a hypocritical thing because I, I love Ionic and that's exactly what Ionic is. It's a rapper. Mm-hmm. You're in, let's just say, dangerous uncharted territory, right? Because you're so abstracted from the system you're working with. Sure. Sure. So just word of caution there. Um, that's all I got for Rails 5. Now, are you, are okay. you uh, supporting any Rails ac- applications at all? Or? Not, you know, uh, to the extent that we install Rails and then there's an application that goes on top of it and, you know, and everything's already done all for me and I just have to, I just have to set it up. Yes, but as far like if anything ever goes wrong, that's somebody else's problem. That's that's not they don't call Noah for those kind of things. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, it's it's interesting and, and you know it's interesting too that you so you said you primarily stick with LTS because you're running a lot of the stuff on the serv on the servers. Yes, yeah, so I have probably two dozen DO droplets that are all Ubuntu LTS of some version, right? To be fair, though, they're Ubuntu LTS usually with Docker on them. Okay. And that Docker is running on on the DigitalOcean droplet? Yeah, correct. Yep. The, you know, the, the thing for me is, is have, you, have you had to spin a DigitalOcean droplet up, like, on command? Like, have you ever had to do something quickly, or is it one of those things that you have your set build environment, and then you, it's just good to go? No, no. In fact, there was a story we had a couple of weeks ago where I was on this uh, Death Marchy project uh, doing some Java Spring Boot stuff for an enterprise, and the uh, back-end deployment guy who had access to the back-end server decided he was done with it, and he wasn't going to work the late night. So I was screwed, because I was the back-end dev. I could not deploy test uh, test code for the front-end developer to, you know, actually hit. Sure. Right? So I was the database guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the API guy. So what did I do? Within, I'd, after an hour of trying to, like, email this guy, call him, whatever, within, I would say, 15 minutes, I had a DO droplet with a Docker image of the exact stack we needed spun up and good to go. Wow. On the fly. With a whole, with a my, working MySQL data, my dogs hate fireworks, sorry. With a working MySQL database, a working implementation of the OpenJDK, everything you need to just go. That's awesome. And, and DigitalOcean has actually saved my butt more than once, especially this weekend when I was out at the 4th of July, spun up a droplet just to move some, some, uh, some movies over so I could get to them. In fact, you guys can go spin up your own DigitalOcean droplet at DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. Um, to get, I assume it's ten dollars off your your first Linux rig. So you know the way I use them, and I don't know about you, Michael. I assume if you're doing development stuff, you probably need a little bit beefier for droplet. But me personally, I actually run all of my droplets on five dollar droplets. So for me, that ten dollar credit that gets me two droplets or two months of a single droplet. Absolutely incredible. And there, I have believe me when I tell you, I have used all of the VPSs. There isn't probably a VPS out there I haven't tried or used. And hands down, uh, if it, when I when I have to go choose one to, to to spin something up, especially if it's a service I have to rely on, you know, we run our ticketing system for UltaSpeed on a DigitalOcean droplet. This very broadcast is being sent from. All over, uh, my computer here in Grand Forks up to a droplet and then sent to another droplet and then eventually out to all of the streaming services. Uh, you know, 
it, it is literally like having a data center. And I've looked into racking servers. I've looked into purchasing a server and putting it in a data center. And, you know, you can, you can get the cost down to about a hundred bucks a month, uh, if you're using very conservative power, uh, and, you know, it's, and it's, a, you know, it's a small, small unit, light, light unit. You can, you can get it down to like a hundred bucks a month. But when you start doing the math, that means I'd have to virtualize and get 20 machines out of that one box in order for me to even break even. And of course, that's because I'm using it mainly as a service machine. It's not like, you know, a build machine. How about you, Michael? Are you using, are you using like the smaller droplets or you're big and powerful and beefy? Uh, the vast majority of them are the minimum $5 a month ones. But I do have a couple larger ones. But I, I have never even spun anything up in that second row because they're so damn efficient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's, how, that's how I felt too. And, you know, everyone was really concerned when we first started doing – uh, the streaming over DigitalOcean. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to blow past your bandwidth. Oh, you're going to blow the bandwidth up. Uh, you know what? We haven't. We streamed to the stupid thing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We've not gone over the bandwidth yet. So there's Yeah, I've, ne- I've never been charged for bandwidth with them. I, I didn't even know they did. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. They, I think they technically have a limit somewhere, but I've never hit it. So. I've never seen it, yeah. Yeah. DigitalOcean.com slash Coder Digital. All right. So the second story yes. is this Oracle <laughs> silence on Java. I imagine this should be pretty interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I almost didn't put this in the doc, to be honest with you, because it's a story about nothing. But so many people emailed and so many people tweeted me um, and it got to the front page of ours. So it was like, all right, may as well cover it. So Oracle's crazy. Like, can we all just stipulate that as a statement that's true? Yeah. They're a bad, crazy okay. company. I agree. Right. Um, they haven't really been clear or friendly or not suspiciously silent on the future of Java EE, which, you know, Java EE sucks, but we'll just leave that there. I don't, I haven't done it in a long time. I don't like to do it. I didn't once mm. in college. I, you know, he was pretty and never mind. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a ton of gay jokes on here. I mean, really. Sorry, <laughs> Noah. <laughs> oh, it's all right. It's all right. I, uh, how can I put this nicely? If Java EE went away, I understand that that's bad. Well, maybe we should backpedal. So there's concern, right? Um, that Oracle hasn't been super vocal on the future of Java EE. And silence sometimes means that things aren't going to go well for a platform. Oracle isn't known for, let's just say, transparency. Right? Uh-huh. I'm gonna stip. I'm just gonna put it out there. Killing Java EE would be the best Christmas present they could give Microsoft. <laughs> okay. I, I don't see a world where that happens. Though, you know, it's true, and this article does state about Oracle's licensing apologies being somewhat hostile. Right? They won't relicense things under the Open JDK. The Open JDK is actually like a parallel implementation of Java and the JDK, which is obnoxious. Mm-hmm. The- so, so, so the fears are twofold, right? That the future is unclear and will Java EE be super, will, be, will it be really compatible with the open JDK? That's what we're, people are worried about. Okay. I think it's insane of them to screw with the golden goose here, but go, go ahead. No, I no. You go ahead. I, I, I uh, the, the thing is, I don't really have an educated opinion about it to be completely honest with you. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I honestly didn't want to cover this only for the reason of that 
if they were to do something destructive to the Java EE development community, like be super dicks to the OpenJDK project, which I think is the more real concern. I mean, the people tweeting me saying that they think Java EE is just going to go away. One, this R's article doesn't really say. Two, I, why would they do that, right? That would be like Microsoft saying, hey, we just released .NET Core, but let me get a gun and shoot it in the back of the head. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. all, you should all go be Oracle developers. Right. I mean, the only person who wins if Java EE goes away is is Microsoft, right? They license ASP to anybody mm-hmm. who's breathing. Um, how you can run it on Linux now. A more realistic situation is Oracle maybe trying to turn the screws on their licensing models. And this is a complicated thing that I don't want to get into because of the pricing and how they charge and don't charge and who they charge and blah, 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 blah. I just want to throw it out there. You can totally run Java. I do it all the time mm-hmm. and have nothing to do with Oracle. And do you th- do you think that there is a there is a rich and, and prosperous future for people going into to Java development? The limited amount I you know I yeah, do I'm, I'm, I literally am hiring Java developers. So. Yeah, I mean, and you know what you know the the few little you know interludes I've had with development have all been with java it seems like that's the language that everyone goes to but yet at the same time it seems like everyone i talk every time i talk to somebody about java they never have anything super positive to say about Uh, okay you know what let's be even more inappropriate on the show java is the wife who's super nice to you but it's been 20 years and you're getting bored okay right all right um java is what java is java is dependable java is always there for you it runs on anything including some toasters i am not kidding it it is, there is an open source version of it that is, for all intents and purposes, fine. There are platforms upon platforms of libraries and, and web development frameworks. And hell, there's Android. Let's not forget Android, guys. Right. 80% of the mobile market. Just want to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to be a little enterprising, you don't want to do, deal with Oracle, where there's, there's, you know, Pivotal Spring, right? If you want something less horrible, there's Pivotal Spring Boot, which is Spring but less shitty. There's uh, Java Play if you want something good. There's hell. There's straight Java, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and also there's the whole Scala thing. There's a the whole Java JD. There's a JVM ecosystem outside of the Java language mm-hmm. where you have Scala, you have Kotlin, you have all these other languages. That run. You know, who, you know who runs Java? NASA. When they send a rover to Mars, that baby runs Java. Really? Yeah. So, so this all this like anti-Java stuff is just people being bored in their dead end jobs using Eclipse. Your real problem is that you're using Eclipse. Um, uses IntelliJ. They give me a dollar every time one of you buys a license. Proprietary oh. software five. Okay. Uh, see, now I got you to go for proprietary. No, wait, 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 all kidding aside, right? Java has a problem of being old and reliable. Does, does it run? Does it run on Linux? Your proprietary software? Yeah. Then it gets oh, yeah. my stamp of approval. That's that's really thing. that's the hard line for me. Is can I get it to run on Linux? Oh yeah, they 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 are actually pretty pretty good. Um, same day Linux support on every update. So wow, yay. You know, one thing Java doesn't have going for it is it's not sexy. There are not hipsters with horn rim glasses going to conferences on gold MacBook ones, doing presentations about the newest Java framework. Is that what they're it's calling? Got, that? Is that what they're calling that that thing? The new MacBook? They're calling it MacBook One now. That's what I call it. I heard okay. it on some podcast. You know, it's, I don't even want to get into it. I have a, a friend who has one of those gold MacBook ones, and it's. Did you type on it? Yeah, the typing. I did it this week, actually, because I thought about getting one instead of the Raytel. It's not a good keyboard. Yeah. 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 
which is disappointing because Apple's usually really good about their keyboard. Right, but in order to get the stupid thing that thin, they had to uh, they had to, they had to get this idiotic they had to put this idiotic keyboard in, and then they marketed it as a feature. And the, the funny thing is too is there's actually I was watching a video. Apparently, it, like it downclocks to like 800 megahertz or something like that. And the only it does, way to, it does, yeah. yeah, the only way to get it to actually run is to put it in like a bath of water. Like you have to, I mean. My computer would have 13 hours of battery life, too, if I ran it at 25% of its, you know, working ability. Oh, don't get me started on the laptop. I mean, my ideal system on a laptop would be I can choose to underclock it if I know I'm going to be, like, on a plane for five hours or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Or, yeah. or you get, like, you look at, like, you look at, like, my ThinkPad, right? I get, I have the internal battery at the front, which gets me, like three hours then i've got the external battery at the back which gets me like another 12 and then i've got the battery slice which connects to the dock port at the bottom which gets me another like 10 hours so if i need to i can milk about 20 some hours of battery out of my laptop and that's assuming i don't take any extra batteries with me and if you're not a jackass and stream everything you know save some stuff to a usb and you'll be fine yeah whatever yeah well i mean if i'm if i'm if i'm at a place where i can't connect to power for over 20 hours chances are i'm not streaming right i'm on a plane or something yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, so, so back to Java. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I you know I don't want to be the grumpy old guy who defends Java, but can you give me a good reason that you know other than saying Java's old, right? <laughs> Being old is not necessarily bad. First of all, nineteen ninety four is not that long ago. I just want to throw that out there too. You know, I don't I don't understand the java hate i mean especially because a lot of the people are like oh java sucks c sharp's great dude c sharp is java (laughs) like well here's i'll I'll tell you some of the things i've heard so uh, some of the things that i've heard is the promise was write once run forever and that's a bad promise okay because that that has never seemed to really work out yeah i know a number of heroin addicts who would tell you the promise was this will make you feel better (laughs) okay Good was point. that bad? No, Too no, much? that's good. That's a good point. That's excellent. I don't have a retort to it, but it's an excellent point. Mm. Yeah, sad fact. The county I live in and worked in, Monmouth County, the heroin capital of the United States. That's good. You should be very proud of that. We are. It's on the sign on the way in. I think I think Washington is, is competing for you. I guess they have a huge heroin problem as well. It's not a problem oh. if you're rich and work on Wall Street. Yeah, well, there you go. I guess there's always that. I figured they, those guys would graduate to cocaine. Ah, Coca's too. You know what? We should move on. Oh, sorry. Okay. All right. Uh, so before we move on, though, we should talk about Linux Academy. Now, here's the thing. Yes. About, yeah. Here's the thing about Linux Academy. I, if you haven't figured it out halfway through the episode, know almost nothing about coding or development. And what the little I do know is from the courses that I picked up at Linux Academy. And you can have, uh, you can actually get a discount if you go to linuxacademy.com slash Coders. Now, Linux Academy is a site that is stacked with Jupyter Broadcasting members, and I have spent a disproportionate amount of my free time playing around on here, learning development. Uh, sorry, it wasn't Java. It, I'm trying to think, what was it? It was uh, Python. That's what I was learning. Python. Yeah, I was learning Python. And you know, the, the, the fun thing was, was I had no reason to learn it, and I had no projects to do, and I think that's ultimately why I gave up, was because I didn't know what to do with these skills that I was acquiring. But it was just, it, it was, and I said this on Linux Action Show the other day, too knowledge is the one thing that nobody can take away from you. It doesn't matter if you, you know, if you become a quadriplegic, doesn't matter if you're stranded on an island, doesn't matter if you get arrested and you're sent to jail. Just doesn't lobotomy. Matter. Yeah, lobotomy. Well, hmm. Ooh, good one. So I guess there's one way. Or if you died, I mean, you know. But for the most part, there's, you pretty much hang on to your knowledge no matter what. And 
the and and so spending you know spending a couple of bucks and i think when i did it cost me like 24 bucks to go through uh and learn all of the uh, and, and go through and take a python course and you know i was comparing that to what it cost me back when i was in college i took a programming class back in college it was 300 dollars per credit and it was a three credit class so it cost me 900 dollars to take a class and that actually you know what that was java that's what it was the first one was java and then it was visual basic and then it was c and then a couple other ones that i forgot and then didn't like and then eventually decided i wasn't going to go into computer science but <laughs> but the but you can you can take the same kind of class and you have i would argue actually better than than most colleges have instructors because you have these people that if they're working for linux academy they live eat and breathing this stuff so you get the you you really get you're really you're getting the best of the best so linuxacademy.com slash coders go over there save yourself a couple of bucks and take a course and learn something so i am on the reddit site michael and this and and uh and mm. um and it is computer freak writes and he wrote a post and he says i had recently graduated from college and i'm being offered to do some back-end development to write an api the question i should have the question I have now is, how should I best determine how much to charge for this kind of project in freelance work and in the future, since this is my first time doing any kind of work freelance? Uh, should I basically just take how much I would charge by the hours uh, and amount of hours I would expect and then just charge that for the price, or should I bill per the hour? Uh, just looking for some feedback as to how other people do it and maybe some tips about how I should do freelance work pricing. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So I did respond to this with a nice organized bullet point list of things to discourage him. Okay. So first off, it sounds like he's being asked for a fixed bid. Okay. Fixed bids are the devil's work. Okay. It's like three VSD developers got together in Canada, decided to give you a project spec. Yes, uh, I like you more and more all the time. (laughs) a PSD. I love it. So I, I did put this in the subreddit, but just so people don't check it out. So one, you're being asked for a fixed bid. You better make sure that scope, right, what they want is just as fixed as that dollar amount. Because let me tell you, if there's ever a conflict and they don't feel they got what they wanted, that is going to be challenging to you. Because it's really easy for someone to read a contract and say, first of all, have a contract. Uh, Well, you said you do this for, let's say, $3,000, $5,000, whatever. Um, But defining those items and what constitutes done is a little harder. Um. Does the client actually know what the hell they're talking about? Mm. The answer is probably no. So that means your contract needs to be so dirt simple that no reasonable person can ever go back and say, oh, I didn't understand the scope or that's not what I meant or that's not what I thought I was getting, right? Sure. To be unclear is um, to be unkind, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. What happens when and if there is a dispute? Because on a fixed bid, again, you are setting yourself up for an adversarial relationship Um so if there is this dispute regarding scoping, i.e. the client says, oh, can we add this or change this? It is very rare for a client to outright say, can we add this? Because that's admitting that it's an addition. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that many people are like this, but there are sneaky people who will try to take advantage of particularly young web developers and say, oh, well, that's not an addition. That's what I wanted. You just didn't do it right. So again, you need to handle that process and have that clearly written in your contract. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, everything goes to shit. You have a contract that says you're going to build them a Model T. They want a Cadillac Escalade. You need an escape clause in that contract. Something that says, in any event or no event, you can burn this contract and walk away. Uh, That may be you give them some of their money back. It may be that whatever, you help them find a replacement. But 
you never want a fixed bid contract that can get into a state where the scope is not agreed upon and it's kind of defunct, right? It's kind of not moving because you're you're fighting about scope. Um, those are called zombie contracts. It's mm-hmm. my term I've coined. And they are very, very difficult to deal with because if you, if you sit on the other side of the table, if the client really is ignorant about the industry, they may feel cheated. And you feel like, well, the client didn't know what they wanted. You did all this work and now they don't want to pay you for it. Right, okay. or they want yep. you to do those work for free. Um, that is super, super hard. And I will also throw out contracts are only as good as your willingness and ability to enforce them. And enforce them means either getting sued and defending yourself or suing someone. Mm-hmm. So now if is, you are is, not, is, is litigation yeah. pretty popular in, in 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 the development field? Is that something that people need to to really worry about, or is that threats threats of litigation are okay, particularly around like patent stuff? Okay, but do they ever go anywhere? Um, I've been sued for patent infringement twice, and I've won both times. Oh, but you did have to actually – it was something – Well, it, it, I, I say I've been sued. I, I got threatening letters from lawyers. One was about me using a font coloring thing. Uh, I wrote an algorithm in Objective-C to color font based on syntax, and someone said they had a patent on it. But my willingness to pay my lawyer $1,000 to file something saying we think they're on crack and made them drop it, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to spend money to defend yourself. Gotcha. It, and I guess the reason I ask is if 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 I was – knowing what I know now about business, if I was to go into another business, looking at the rate of litigation, looking at the likelihoodness of being sued would fundamentally change how I structure myself to begin with. So for example – if 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 you're telling me there's there's a very little likelihood for what this guy is doing that he would get sued, then I would say just go as a sole proprietorship, put all your oh, money. Oh no 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 no, not with this. this yeah. So so, so you would case, recommend an LLC. Well, absolutely, or an S corp. Or I mean, I'm not an attorney, but whatever legal structure works for you. Right. So here's the thing, right? GE, for example, is not going to sue Little Buccaneer Tech, where they might threaten because you know a big company squashing a little company really looks bad if, if you decide to go to cry to paper sure. cry to the papers right yeah mm-hmm. but some guy who had an app idea or who has a website idea and feels like got cheated out of you know four hundred dollars or whatever the amount of money is will definitely file a small claims lawsuit yeah because it's not about are they right or wrong legally they will feel wronged yeah so you need to defend yourself one, not do anything as a sole proprietorship, and two, yep. have these contracts so that if they do decide to sue you or they take it to an attorney, the attorney tells them that they're a moron and they shut up. Right, right. Yeah, and I say that, yeah, I say this because young developers tend to get into these situations more where it's someone, it's always these idea guys, right? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that um, it's tempting, you know, right? When, like, if you notice, like in his post, he doesn't really mention setting up a business. And I think a lot of people fail to actually separate this idea of when you're going to accept money for something, whether you want to admit it or not, you're starting a business. It might be a limited business. It might be a business that starts and ends with a single project, but it is nonetheless a business. And so if you if you take no other action, you are by default assuming a sole proprietorship. And so you're going yeah. to be taxed on that money. And so you need to set 25% aside, you know, for the government to take their share and, and all that good stuff. But in addition, you're opening yourself up to uh, to legal ramifications if they decide because if they sue you and you own your house or whatever, right. theoretically, they can come after I'm not saying they'd actually win. But in theory, in theory, they come after your car, they come after your, your house, whatever you own, that's part of the business. If you form an well, LLC or an S Corp, right. different story. 
different story. I mean, they can sue you to the extent of the S corp's assets, right? And you can just turn around and close the S corp. Right? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, you're exactly right. Night. Yeah. And in fact, we actually, I, I do, uh, I, you know, I, I do some investing, and and so basically. Um, Without going into a whole lot of detail, after the S corp in our case gets a certain amount of a target on its butt, then that becomes its own entity, and then we start a different one and, and move on. Yeah. That way, you don't have that way you're not walking around with with you know something that has you know that has a large target on it. So uh, we live in a tough society, right? Your employees are also very likely to sue you, right? I mean, sure. statistically, employees are more likely to sue a company than customers. Um, I would say in this case, you know, anyone who Unless it's another agency, like a company like mine wanting to just hire this kid as a contractor because they are very unlikely to sue him because it doesn't make sense, he is going to a very dangerous situation. Right? This seems like a guy who's cracking open his 401k because he has a website idea or something like that. Mm-hmm. That is already someone who's set up to be hostile sure. you know, when he doesn't make a million dollars on the app store, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I, I, I would just pass on this deal on its face. And in the past, I haven't, which, which was a mistake. Um, only because, in fact, I did just pass on a couple development deals. Only because the client needed the money too much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. You know that. Yeah. No. Go ahead. And it just makes it risky, right? You have to look at your customers and potential clients and say, "What are the odds that you know if we were to get a divorce, so to speak, here? How does that end? Right. How does the relationship end?" Yeah. The the you know and when we're bidding something you know we do we do things you know both ways i've done it where we bi- we literally just keep track of the hours we're there and uh, and then we bill them at the end and we've done it the other way where we provide a bid up front the the, the thing is though you know with a fixed bid like you're saying if we're going to bid we bid high uh and you have to you have to because you have to and in our in our you know in, in our sense it's not so much that somebody's going to come back and say well we didn't like this per se it's just that you know they they asked us to wire a building or put wi-fi in we get into the ceiling and realize underneath the ceiling tiles it was concrete or something you know and it's like well now how do we run wire so yeah. we have to accommodate for those things and so you you know it's it's usually a pretty hefty markup if if i'm because if basically you're asking me to guess and since i know that i can't guess accurately if i'm going to guess i'm going to guess high um and so you know, typically, if we're in the customers that work with us a lot, know better than to ask us for you know for a bit up front. They might ask us for informally, roughly, what do you think we're looking at, and then we give them our best guess. Um, but how it's actually built out is we keep track of hours. Now, is that something that would work in the development field? Could he go so back that's, to? His- that's, that's precisely what I do. Okay, you just, um, you tell the client this is this is about what I think it'll take, but I'll let you know as time progresses, and then we go on and and you meet with the client and say we're at you know twenty five percent, and here's what we've got done, and we're on schedule or not on schedule, this that or the other. Exactly, but this brings up a good point, right? About if things come to blows, and it comes to a litigious situation, your phone conversations don't mean shit. Yeah, but not in writing, cases, it didn't happen. Right, it, even emails sometimes don't like if. You know, in development, a common uh, way to do pricing is you do a fixed bid and then every uh, sprint or every phase you get a payment, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're smart, you actually have a signed document that the customer has to sign at every payment saying, I accept all the prior work as is, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that if there is ever a dispute, let's say the project was $20,000 split into four pieces, right? 5000 a piece. Mm-hmm. The dispute would be about $5,000. Gotcha. gotcha. So they would have already released the fifteen. Yep. So that now they're already on a bat. Again, also, if you're getting sued all the time, that means there's something wrong with you. Right? <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. But yeah. I, or you're I'm working very, for the wrong people. 
Well, that is the thing. I mean, I can tell you, like, when I first started out, I took a lot of risky projects where I did a lot of work that I didn't get paid for. Yeah. And that was the way I ended up resolving those problems. But you know what? I don't do any of that shit now. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone says, well, I feel like I should have got that. Well, that's not what it says. So, you know, go talk to your lawyer. Yeah. Because at some point, you should be paid for the work you did. Right. And if they don't like the work, they're free to fire you and get somebody else. I mean, right. there's there's no, you know, the other thing is your contracts. I don't like lock-in. I know other vendors do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think lock-in only sets you up for a fight later. So, It's a very open-source thing of you to say, you know, if you think well, about it. It is. I mean, the reason is, like, you know, I do a lot of development work through the course of a year. And I would say like 99% of people are super happy. And the other 1% were more or less happy, but maybe there was a contingency and it costed more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are things that make a project more risky. Uh, one thing we haven't even mentioned is if you're getting code from some other vendor because they fired the vendor, that project is about 100 times more risky than a project where it's greenfield. Because you don't really know what's in that source code. Mm-hmm. And you may be asked to look at it, but you know, a one or two day review of that code is not going to give you everything you need to know right. pr- from a practical point of view. Right. And then you, what you're saying is you set yourself up to run into pitfalls as you go well, on there could, the project? There, I mean, think about your example of there's something wrong with the drywall or there's something wrong when you're wiring the building. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. You didn't know that this problem existed. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you gave an estimate and now that estimate's wrong. Right. You know, when I, yeah. when I first started too, uh, I was... I was really, I guess I was really good about eating costs on stuff like that. Now I wouldn't, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would pitch a contract over it, but I definitely go back to the client and say, you know what? Uh, we bid at XYZ price or we said we were going to do XYZ and here's what came up. And of course, if we're, we're doing by the hour, this, this isn't even a conversation that really even has to happen, right? Yeah. We just say this came up and so it took longer, but we're going to knock it out. And, you know, but, uh, but if in the rare instances that we do do a bit ahead of time, uh, I ask. I mean, I'll go back and ask and say, you know, is there is there any chance? And if they, you know, if they throw a big fit about it, then I guess we just eat it. But most people are, you know, at least in at least what I've seen, most people are are pretty reasonable. Um, and and uh, and so if you go back to them and say, listen, you know, we thought it was we thought we we're going to take these ceiling tiles off and and run this cable. It turns out there's concrete there. We can't do that. So now we got to do you know run conduit on the walls or whatever it is, and that's going to cost an extra. XYZ, most people are pretty understanding about that kind of thing. Yeah, again, I would say it is so rare for this to happen, but the problem is if you're operating as a sole proprietorship, it only needs to happen once to screw you over. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. You could lose a ton. You could lose a ton. Yeah, and so, and and just for the record, I'm not sure what it is in New Jersey. I would imagine it's pretty similar, but to file an S Corp or or an LLC is usually it's a couple hundred bucks and and a form that you fill out. Yeah, I think I think in New Jersey, all in it was like a thousand dollars because New Jersey oh, really? has all kinds. Of, well, to register as an employer, it's separate. So it's wow. Okay. And and New Jersey, interestingly enough, I found out does not allow the owner of the company to not be an employee. Really? So you actually yes, you actually have to have workman's compensation on yourself if you, even if you're a one. That seems band. really weird. So what happens if you have a uh, what happens if you have like a, you know in a uh, you know like a liable partner that is. Or, or, you know, like a capital partner that doesn't even live there and he's, you know, he just – he wants to fund the uh, – that seems really strange. Huh. Well, if he works in the business, if he does anything other than supply capital, he technically should be paid as an employee. Right. Now, there are exceptions like an S-corp, right, which is what I do. I take a pass-through draw. Right. Because yep. 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 I don't – yeah. I don't know what the next quarter is going to be, so I tend to not want to do payroll on myself. Yep. yep. But everybody else has to be on payroll. Everybody, it's – it, it will vary by state to state. That's the point I'm making. I know New Jersey is actually one of the least employer-friendly states in the country. I can believe that. 
So um, it's also more expensive to employ someone here than, say, Pennsylvania. Sure. Which makes Pennsylvania look better and better every day. <laughs> For instance, I have women's care coverage on male employees. It makes sense. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I just, the whole healthcare thing is just, it has just destroyed us. Oh, it's not just even healthcare. No, no, it's not healthcare. This is a special thing New Jersey has. Oh, really? It's like part of their social insurance or something. It's, yeah. <sighs> Well, yeah, payroll adds a whole other complication to to owning a business. Yeah, you know, it's, really, it's too bad yeah. it's so litigious because there, there are a number of advantages to doing a sole proprietorship, especially for somebody that's just getting started, like this guy in the subreddit. You know, if you're just going out to do a single job, if you, I mean, it, that's really too bad. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother risking it if if there's a if there's a a small even a small to medium chance you'd get sued. Oh, well, but well, here's the thing: if a guy's going to pay you a thousand dollars to do a WordPress site. Your risk is pretty low. Sure. If you're taking on like a $30,000 development project, your risk yeah. is pretty high. Right. Right. The other thing you have to think about is really if this went bad, you know, it, it costs money to file a lawsuit. <laughs> no one's yeah, going to do yeah, it. That's true. That's true. That's true. It's, that's true. But it yeah. also costs money to defend if they do file. So that's a lot more to defend than to file. <sighs> well, yeah. So take that as take that as you will, and uh, your, and your and, pessimistic hour of power. Yeah, and I and I'm and I'm extraordinarily sorry to hear that New Jersey is so uh, so unfriendly to small business. That's that's well, actually, you know, so. Governor Christie spends all his time in Texas. So. <laughs> All right. I want to hear more about this. Unless you have anything else to add uh, to any of these topics, I kind of want to hear more about your uh, your Linux rig. Yeah. No. Let's move on from this. I don't. I, I you know one final thing. I don't want to discourage the writer. I just want him to go in maybe a little less naive than I did. Well, I think part of it is simply, uh, you know, if you're, if you, there, there is a healthy amount of of worry or concern, and as long as that worry is con- and concern is based in rational facts and not your 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 um, your ignorance, paranoia. yeah, right. paranoia, par- paranoia or ignorance. I mean, if you if you don't know that a you know if you don't know what the facts are, if you don't know what the industry is like. Um, you know, that's, that's something to consider. Let me ask you this. One of the things I did very early on in my career that I think was super, super useful, uh, and has benefited me time and time again was I went and, and, uh, and basically volunteered for a company, uh, that was kind of doing similar work and, and just worked with them for a couple months and kind of got my feet wet and, and kind of got into the practice. Is that something that you'd recommend in the software world specifically as it relates to maybe looking at what it looks like to have a really decent contract? This is how we do contracts. This is how we write them out. These are the things that we think to put in there, that kind of thing. So sort of, I would recommend you do open source. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think anybody should do proprietary work for free for any reasons. Okay. Um, Another fun New Jersey fact, unpaid internships are illegal in New Jersey. Oh, really? Yeah, you are actually operating a criminal enterprise. So if you have an unpaid internship. So the way they work in North Dakota is kind of interesting. They're not illegal mm-hmm. per se, but there's so much work that I rarely if ever do them. I usually will just pay them money. But the way it's worded in North Dakota is it has to be set up to benefit the intern, not the employer. So I can't make money off the intern. I have yeah. so it, it's it's a it's a very strange system, but basically the idea is if I send them to a service call, if they if they can't they, do it, yeah, well they can right. they can it just I have to be able to prove on paper that it wasn't to make money, it was like the, like terminating a wire, right? If they want to terminate yeah. a Cat Five connection, I can have them do that because I'm not it's not contributing to any significant capital, but they're they are learning how a punch plate works or you know whatever something like that. That's something I can prove on paper that is beneficial to the intern, and we're not making money. I cannot, however. 
take an internet yeah. and say, go pull 500 cables from here to uh, to the switch room. Can't do that because that would, you know, be, so it, it honestly, it's more hassle than it's work. Easier so just to New pay Jersey, them. are you ready for craziness? I you am. cannot ask an intern to get you coffee because getting you coffee benefits the company by your time not being wasted driving to Starbucks and getting coffee. <sighs> You cannot have an intern answer the phone if a customer calls because theoretically in, a, in some alternate universe, if the phone didn't get answered, that customer might have been angry. And therefore, by that customer not being angry, you have benefited the company. That's funny, for particularly in the yeah. development world where I'm sure you get tons and tons of phone calls and nobody ever communicates via email. It's all, Yeah, right. It's all email. <laughs> the only people who call are like weird recruiters trying to poach people or something like that. Anyway, sorry, and, and Christy, I am sorry to stick crap on New Jersey today, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> aren't you a Republican? Just saying. Yeah, well, he he can't just say he was inventing new ways to uh, to defend Obamacare when it came out. So, hey, he's my man. He, he, Mr. Trump will tell him what to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the this the Linux love. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I have a throbbing free software hard on for System seventy six really? right now. I have been lusting after their machines for about a year now, over a year actually, mm-hmm. and I've never, never taken the plunge. In fact, I'm going to bring it up on my screen right now. You'll hear my wonderful keyboard. Oh yeah, you like that? Enhance. Are you a Super Troopers fan? Uh, I am not actually. Okay, sadly. Well, it's all right. The Raytel Pro. Look at this baby. So it's beautiful in so many ways. One. And we'll be running the same system that I'm deploying to, which theoretically gives me some sort of security in what I'm doing. That may not be true. Okay. I'm hoping, because I've been told by you, uh-huh. on recordings, that the build quality is good. It's very good, yes. Okay, so I'm going to take the assumption, This is the, the, these are my expectations, right? I'm going to open the box, I'm going to run the power cable, I'm going to... Put it on my desk, mm-hmm. possibly. You you will because you can't tell from the pictures. Is it small enough. Yes, okay. it is the size of a freaking coffee maker, man. It is. Oh, then I'll tiny, desk. tiny. I can't. I cannot. I can't even describe. Okay, so it looks a lot bigger in the photos, and then I will plug it in, and it will work. Yep, that's going to be your experience. And then, and, will, yeah. and when you break something, and people do break things, because once you get into Linux, that's kind of the, that's the, it's both the, the blessing and the curse is that you constantly play with stuff. Uh, when you break something, you call them and they will fix it for you. Yeah, this seems pretty epic. Um, I don't even understand. Like, I'm looking at the machine now because you know I'm lusting after it. Right, and you ordered it, so you have to look every day, make sure, see where it is, when it's coming, that kind of thing. You know, this is my one thing against System76. You can tell that they're like a smaller shop because it takes them so long to ship something. Right, yep. Yeah, that, that's the only thing, if they could get that, like, in order. I don't know. I mean, what, what, what should my expectations be? Should, should I really expect that I open it and it just works? Yes. Yes, you totally <gasps> should. And in fact, I had um, – I'll tell you, here's how much confidence I had in exactly that. Um, the I, I ordered my Oryx. And I had to leave like the next day for a very long business trip. I was gone for four days and we were, I was off site and we were doing a deployment. So I was going to be living on this laptop. Take the lap. It, literally, it arrives while I was at Linux Fest. I land, I come home, I sleep, I eat because I, I slept for like 18 hours because I was up so, so much at Linux Fest. I wake up the, the day after to, to go on this, on this thing. I don't take the laptop I had been using. Instead, I take the Oryx still in its factory box, throw it in the back of my car, 
and took an external hard drive with some of the data that I knew I needed and drove six and a half hours to my work site where I then stayed for the next four days. Uh, if the laptop hadn't worked out of the box, I would have been hosed because there was mm. no internet, there was no network, there was no working computer for me to make a USB drive or troubleshoot or anything like that because that's why we were there was to provide all of that. So, right. yeah, yeah, no, I very much – I have full confidence that you will pull it out of the box, plug it in, it will just work. I mean it will take me a day and a half to install my toolchain, but that's okay. Yeah. So what what all do you do on on the on your on your Linux boxes? Sure. So let me send you to jetbrains.com. Okay. Uh, these are the people I'm talking about. These are all the IDEs I use. They have one for Java, for Ruby, for Python, for PHP, for web development, uh, JavaScript called WebStorm. They have a C C one called C line. They have a Python one. They have an Android one. They are actually what Android Studio is based on. Uh, and they do have a beta for a uh, C-sharp one. They also have a Mac one for – it's called App Code. It's actually not that bad. Okay. I work basically exclusively in these and Vim right now in addition to Git and all the you know Rails and stuff like that. Right. These are all Java applications. They all run on Linux. They run on Mac. They run on Windows. They're awesome. So if you take a look at um, just IntelliJ, for example, right, it shows you – Basically, it is a really, I guess I would say, like full-featured IDE. It gives you IntelliSense. You can look up the documentation in it. Um, there's all kinds of plugins to all kinds of stuff you might want to do. And it works with almost every Java framework um, I know of. And there's plugins from the community for ones that they don't officially support. So you do all of your work inside of the single IDE? And 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 well, and, 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 and its variants, right? So IntelliJ is the Java one. Ruby, RubyMine is the Ruby one. And a WebStorm is the web one, or the, you know, Ionic one, basically. So, I use so why would it take a day to set this up? Isn't it just a single package? So it would probably take me about a day to set up all the dependency. Rails is actually the biggest problem to set up. Because I have to make sure I have the right version of Ruby, the right version of Rails, the right version of Postgres, right running on my machine. Um, then I have to make sure I have the right version of MySQL. In the rare cases where I have to look at MongoDB, I have to set up that. Uh, locally, the correct version of Java. So it's really just installing all the other dependencies. Oh, and Android takes forever to install. Gotcha. The Android install could be three hours by itself. How many Android apps versus iOS apps versus native desktop apps would you say you do? Virtually no native desktop apps. Okay. Uh, the most recent des- native desktop app I did was called GitMask, and it's something we just released under our own label. Okay. Um, native Android apps... Not a ton, but the projects tend to be bigger. Okay. So they're usually enterprise-style internal usage, right? Okay. So I spent a lot of time in Android Studio. Native iOS apps, again, not a ton. Part of that's by choice where the people who are wanting iOS apps tend to be startups. And I've sort of been moving away from that and towards the more enterprise line of business. Really? Okay. Yeah. The, The most common thing I'm doing are these web uh, line of business ionic apps sure sure which kind of makes sense right because they can run it on anything then well they don't right they're not looking to get on the cover of TechCrunch. is what i say they just want it to work you know for instance (laughs) you you go into you go into meetings with these guys it's already assumed you're using phone gap or something like it there's Mm -hmm. no discussion of native i mean it's not even on the table is it because is it because the cost barrier is so much higher to, to get a true native app well if they ever want to change the hardware later Oh, mm-hmm. so if you have your Swift written native app, you're not going anywhere but Apple. 
Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And those Apple devices are real expensive. Gotcha. Yeah. I do see a lot of potential growth in the whole Android tablet space, mm-hmm. but it's very boring, right? It's some company's carrier gave them 30 Android tablets for free as part of their contract. So they want to do an app. They want to do it on Android. It, it's never like we chose to buy these Android tablets. Gotcha. When people choose to buy things, they choose to buy iPads, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is that that is where Apple's business model is, right? And they, when you can concentrate on a – like if you look at it, <clears throat> Apple concentrates on one mobile device. And so they can expend a lot of their – well, two really, the iPhone and the iPad. And you know, they're variants of it. But really, it's, it's one company that's making this device and the software for it. And so they can concentrate on it. If you look at where – what Android is, essentially Samsung – you know, makes an excellent Android tablet, in my opinion, but they're they're still taking the operating system from Google and then trying to hack on all the stuff that they need to make their hardware work. And it, right. it just Which they shouldn't seem, be doing. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a very symbiotic relationship. And well, so, let me, yeah, go ahead. Let me just take it like 10,000 feet in the air, though. You're a business. You're a large business. You're boring. People wear white shorts and, and, and no ties because they're very casual and they're khakis and white shirts. Yeah, we call that IBM. Oh, don't say that name. <laughs> I hate them with a passion. <laughs> they still hate, wear those shirts, dude. I was. <laughs> I know they do. It's like a, it's like a small little private army. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you're running your, you know, I, I got. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of IBM marching down Main Street now. Yes, yes. It's like a so nightmare. Accurate. So accurate. Um, you don't care, right? Your application is going to be reading data from some database or rendering it in a table on some screen, making some changes to that data based on the user's permissions, because God forbid you have open access, mm-hmm. and sending that data back to that database and getting a response as I break my keyboard. Mm-hmm. So there is no reason for that to be native. Right? right. In fact, as much as I would love to charge people for native, it's really, you know, very few things ought to be native now. We're beyond that. A couple of years ago, because uh, the processors in these phones and these tablets sucked, fine. But the JavaScript renderers have gotten better. The processors have gotten better. There are phones with like four gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. You don't need it to be native. Ionic is fast. And I'm not just a show for Ionic, which, by the way, is open source. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, hell, regular Cordova, which is the open source project PhoneGaps based on, is fine. There, there just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, if you were to say, you know, Mike, I got a customer, he's buying 30 iPads. Great. He should still go with an HTML5 solution mm-hmm. because, one, those iPads are expensive. And in the future, times might be tighter and they may want to start replacing them with Android devices that are sure. half the price. Sure. Uh, also, what happens when Apple deprecates Swift like they're doing to Objective C? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Swift 3 is coming out in the fall and there's going to be major language breaking changes to Swift 2. So now you're going to have to pay some developer to come in and update your Swift 2 to Swift 3 with no visible feature changes. You're just going to pay for the compatibility update. Whereas if you had gone with an HTML5 open standard solution, you will have something that runs everywhere. Oh, and if you decide later you want it to run on desktops too, mm-hmm. no problem. Let me download Electron and let me throw it in an Electron container with right. some UI, with a different UI, obviously. But the core, if I architect the application right, the core business logic will be separate and therefore compatible. Let me stop. So, let me stop right there and just ask: What is the cost if you to take a a, a existing web page or web app, something that works in a web page, and and wrap that into an Electron application? What would you charge to do something like that? 
depends on what you want. Uh, if you don't want any native integrations and you really just want it wrapped, it's it's not a lot. I mean, I prefer to talk in hours than dollars. Let's sure, say yeah, hours, like yeah, yeah. 30 to 40 hours. Okay. Maybe. Okay. You know, it depends. You can get into trouble if you're doing like server generated stuff but if your web application is really a web application actually that's not true with the newest version of electron you can point the electron container to an existing web app hosted on a server and just wrap it that way gotcha. you don't even need to change the code gotcha so that would be like 10 hours of work okay so uh, like the, a, the, i guess the, the reason i ask is because i constantly find myself up against a single hurdle and that is that everything seems to be going to web applications, Slack, it's for cheap. example, yeah, and the, the, it, it, and that's great. Except for when I'm trying to multitask between two applications, and if they're both running in a website, it is a it's a huge pain because I can't. I, first, I can't alt tab between them. Second of all, I end up closing Firefox inadvertently, and then all of a sudden, like five things that I wanted to stay open are gone. And I just it would be nice if I could get to a point where the things that right. are super important, I could say, well, let me go hire somebody like Buccaneer Tech to wrap this into an Electron wrapper. Don't don't really have to change anything. I just need it to so I have a separate icon that I can launch, and uh, and and so I can minimize it separately and alt tab to it separately, and and all those good things. Well, that's the beauty of Electron. I mean, I know there's been some pushback. I know in the Mac community, people don't love Electron apps. And I, I, I've heard you on the Linux Action Show say you don't love Electron apps. But I, I have to mm. be honest. Like, to develop a native app for anything, it's a minimum of 100 hours. And that's, like, bare basics, you know, that, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, any call I get, I recommend they just go HTML5. And if they really want a desktop icon, Electron. Because it's not worth it. These, these these native platforms change. And, you know, IT budgets have never been smaller. At least that's what yeah. I'm finding. Yeah, no, you're never absolutely been, right. Right. It's never been more competitive. I, I can give you a quick war story. Uh, I was a part – I was one of the partner companies on the Windows 8 Metro thing. Mm-hmm. You know how much money I lost on that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Roughly forty grand. Really? Because when they jettisoned it, it all the all the training – all the resources, all the plural site courses, all that stuff became garbage, right? Because now they have something new, the Windows Universal App Platform. Mm-hmm. And you know, all of those applications are basically useless. Sure, they'll run in like a legacy mode, but had they been written the first time in like an HTML5 container, an Ionic style container, an Electron style container, mm-hmm. It would have been better for everybody, us, the customers, everybody. In principle, in theory, I like Electron. If 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 Electron apps could be written in such a way that I didn't know that they were Electron apps, they just functioned. That would be fine. But I'll give you an example: Slack, for example, Electron app. Yeah. For the most part, works exactly how we would expect a native application to work. So I don't really care. But it has this irritating feature where it, when somebody sends a message, it sends like this pop up thing, and and in, in, it has no way to recall that pop-up thing once it has been sent because it's letting the system generate that little message. And so I come back to my desktop after being at work all day and I have like 400 of these little pop-up things that I have to close <laughs> before I can get back to my desktop. And it's like mm. – that. It's like whereas Telegram, for example, I get the message and it gives me the same little pop-up thing except yeah. if I read it on another device, then that pop-up thing closes. And so it, it – like in theory, I like Electron. It just seems like in practice, there are so many like little tiny problems that occur from it being not a true native app that I I just kind of shy away from it. And when I see something's Electron, I'm like, oh god! So now I'm going to have you know a, a, a set of problems that I just come to expect. But in so, theory, I agree yeah. with you. 
So, so that's what's called a leaky abstraction, right? Uh, what's happening is, in this case, Slack, the developer there, is using the Electron notification API because it works on all three platforms, Linux, Mac, and Windows. And the implementation on Linux in particular, because I don't think we have that problem on Mac, does not clear red notifications until you click clear or red or whatever the button says. So this is, again, the, the trade-off. I, to be clear, I am not suggesting that for end-user satisfaction, HTML5 slash Electron is better than native. But I'm suggesting in a competitive world, in a world where budgets are small, and cross-platform matters, it's probably the most reasonable balance you can get. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, Linux tends to get screwed the most because you have multiple window managers, right? Unity, you have, uh, you have Unity, you have Gnome, you have all these different things. That, In particular, yes, yes. and I've been playing with different window managers, handle notifications in very, very different ways. So it's not shocking that GitHub, who makes Electron, didn't really do an awesome job <laughs> with notifications there. Yeah. It's open. What I would say to you is, it's open source, and if developers wanted to fix it, they could, but they're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like uh, you know, it, it, I'm. I, I tell you what, and this is what I told Chris too when it came to things like Simple Note. I'll take an Electron app. Like when we're talking about percentages of things I care about, the first like ninety five percent is the fact that it works on Linux to begin with in any stretch right. or form. I don't care how we get there, just as long as I have something that I can click on or install, and I have an application that I can run. That's ninety five percent of the battle. And then the next five percent is where we can get into if it's Electron or not Electron, or if it's a native app, or if it's GTK or whatever. I don't really care about all that stuff. Like that, I care, but only in like the last 5%. The first 95% is just if I have something I can use. Well, and if you take a five-year view, right, JavaScript rendering uh, on the V8 or whatever engine succeeds it is only going to get faster, right? They're only going to take advantage of more native GPU and CPU rendering options. So the future outlook of this is literally every release of Electron in your app are going to get better. Yeah, yeah. With the developer a, doing virtually nothing. Yeah, right. As as yeah. Electron does it itself. Right. Well, I am on Twitter at Colonel Linux. Uh, yep. You can check out or submit comments to this show by going going over to coderadio.reddit.com. If you want to send in feedback, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click on the contact link, choose Coder Radio from the drop down menu, and send your comments in there. And of course, check out jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar to keep an eye on what time the show is. Like Chris should be doing wherever he is sending me Telegram messages from. <laughs> Michael, is there anywhere you want to send people before we get out of here? Uh, just go to buccaneer.io. All right. And with that, we'll wrap up the Coda Radio program. We'll see you. I won't see you. Chris will be back next week right here at the same time. Have a great day, guys.